We're talking about getting outside of our box, getting outside of what God, uh, what you have put in your life. And and I want to read a scripture out of the book of Joshua, chapter number 14, and beginning in verse number 12. And I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version of the Bible. The New King James Version says this, Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke of in that day. Everybody say, start climbing. The title of this morning's message is, start climbing, because there's a mountain that God has for you. But there's also mountains that we put in our own life. And so today we're going to talk about two different mountains. We're going to talk about mountain one and we're going to talk about mountain two. But if we're going to say now, therefore, we got to find out what he's talking about. What is the writer of the book of Joshua saying? And what is he trying to convey to us? So back in verse number six, it says this. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Judah, the Canaanite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and concerning me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old. Everybody say 40 years old. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, said to me in Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as was in my heart. There's going to be some times when God tells you to go do something. And he's going to show you something that's in your heart. And Ronnie, he's going to tell you to bring word back to him about what he has already shown you about the mountain that he's wanting to give you. See, there's something so important about that. See, sometimes God will have you go view something to show you what he's going to give you. But he wants to see how you're going to bring it back to him and explain to him what you saw, what was from him. See, you had 10 people who came and brought back what they saw in their hearts, and that was fear, and that was what it's too great for us, and they saw giants in the land. And the other two people, Caleb and Joshua, Ronnie, he walked over to them and said, tell me what is in your heart, and they said, this land is good, and it is full of fruit. So I want to ask you this morning, as we're talking about two mountains, which mountain are you looking at, the mountain of your giants or the mountain of the fruit that God is trying to bring and nourish your life with? And so he said, I need you to bring back and tell me I brought back word to Moses what was in my heart. I want to talk to you real quick. Oh, this isn't in my message, but somebody is for somebody. What are you talking to God about at night before you go to bed? Are you talking to him about the giants of tomorrow? Or are you talking to him about the promises that he's given you for tomorrow? Because some of you are so rehearsing before the ears of God your bankruptcy that's about to happen, your marriage that's about to fail, your kids that aren't doing right, your grandkids that aren't following after the Lord. You're talking to him about your financial situation. You're talking to him about all the stuff that you see, not the stuff that he wants you to see. And what are you rehearsing in the ears of the Lord before you go to bed at night? Many of you call it prayer, but really you're just worrying out loud. What are you rehearsing before the ears of God? See, Caleb said, I brought back word to him. Moses, the man of God, the leader of the nation, the one who was delivering them out of exile, the one who was setting the captives free. I brought back word to him who is a representation of who Jesus Christ is, our great deliverer. Ten people brought back words of their worry, their fear, their doubt, their unbelief of the giants that were before them. Two people brought back the promises of God that he was was going to give to them. 
So I want to ask you, what are you rehearsing in the ears of God when you're driving down the road about that ungodly coworker who you just can't stand working with? Come on, somebody. About this job that you hate, but it's still paying your bills. About the people in your life that you can't get along with. That family member who just can't get their life right, that you think you got to be their rescuer. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about, right? What are you rehearsing in the ears of God? As you lay your head down on your pillow, as you're driving alone down the road, it's what you talk about when nobody else is around that's really in your heart that show if you're looking at the mountain of your giants or the mountain of the fruit that God's trying to bring you into. See, it's not about what I talked to Pastor Damon about. It's not about what, what I talked to Americo about. It's not even about what, what I talked to Wes about. It's about what I talked to God about when nobody else is around. It's about what I talk to God about when I'm on the lawnmower for about four hours every week. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? You know it's the time when nobody else is around. And you're just rehearsing the story in your head over and over and over again. It's what you talk to God about. What are you bringing word to God about? It says, Caleb said, I brought back a word as was in my heart. See, it's what you talk to God about when nobody's around that'll show what's really in your heart. It's what you talk to God about when you're in the secret, quiet place that shows what's really driving you and motivating you. And where your intentions really are. And it says, I brought word to him as was in my heart. Nevertheless, the people who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I fully and wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore to me on that day saying, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly and fully followed the Lord your God and the word of Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness and now here I am this day 85 years old yet I am as strong this day as I was on that day the day that Moses sent me into the land just as my strength was then so now is my strength for war both going out and for coming in now therefore Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke of in that day. Somebody say, start climbing. God wants to give you a mountain. God wants to give you a mountain that's from him. Now, there's two things I want to clarify as I kick this message off. One thing is this. Some of you have a dream or a mountain in your life that's from you. And you're chasing after it. Some of you have a dream and a mountain in your life that's from God. The difference is you got to differentiate what is from you and what is from God. God wants to put a vision in your heart. He wants to put a godly mountain in your life. And he wants you to go after the mountain that he puts in your life. This is not when you buy a vision board at Walmart or Target and hang it up on your wall and put, I want, I want, I want, I want. There's nothing wrong with goal setting. But don't replace goal setting with God setting. Come on, somebody. I mean, Pastor Joel's got goals in his life. Pastor Joel's got things he wants to accomplish in his life. 
Pastor Joel's got things that he would love to see happen in his life that, that are good and they're, and they're great, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're from God. And the hard part is not differentiating between right and wrong. It's the good things, the goals from Joel and the goals from God. See, I don't believe you're so ungodly and heathenistic that you're always battling right and wrong, right and wrong. I think your biggest battle comes from good and comes from God. Because there are some good things in your life that aren't necessarily God things in your life. There's a mountain that he has set before you that will leave a legacy for your children and your children's children, not just for you. That's a God thing. There are good things that you can do right now, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're a God thing. So the hardest thing you'll ever have to differentiate in your life is the good thing versus the God things. Caleb walked up to Moses, brought a good report back, and Moses said, I'm going to give you this land for you and your children's children forever. And it was 45 years later when Caleb comes to Joshua, because Moses had gone on to be with the Lord, and he looks at Joshua and said, you've been with me a long time, Joshua. We've been doing this 45 years together, Joshua. We've been running this race together, Joshua. I haven't given up on you, Joshua. We've been doing this for a long time, and now it's 45 years in the making. I was 40 when I first stepped on this land, and now I'm 85. This has been 45 years in the making. Now is the day when God says, I want to give you the mountain that I have for you. And Caleb began to take his mountain. He started climbing. I want to talk to you about two mountains in for you in, in, that are in front of you this morning. There are two mountains in front of you this morning. Mountain number one is built out of the dreams that you have given up on. It's about the things of God that are for you, that are in your life, that he put there to benefit you. They truly are from God. But mountain number one is the things that you've given up on in this life. Mountain number two is the dream of God that he's placing in front of you today. It's the dream that he's setting before you right here in this service. Whether you're watching online or you're watching here uh, in person, there's a mountain of greatness and goodness from God that he's setting in front of you today. And you're going to have to pick which mountain you're going to go with. The first mountain, let's talk about that a little bit. Les Brown says it like this. I call it the mountain that looks like a graveyard. He says, the graveyard is the richest place on earth. Because it is here at the graveyard that you will find the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled. You'll find the books that were never written. You'll find the songs that were never sung. You'll find the inventions that were never shared and the cures that were never discovered. All because, get this, all because someone was too afraid to take that first step, to keep on solving the problem, or not determined enough to carry out their dreams. The graveyard, it's the richest place on earth. It's where all your hopes and dreams that you've never stepped into die right alongside of you. The graveyard is mountain one. So the mountain one, the first thing I'd like to phrase it as, it's not just the graveyard of dead hopes and dreams, it's also the saddest place. It's the saddest place in your life. Usually you don't see celebration at the graveyard, but you see tears. Am I correct in that? Whenever you go to a funeral, you don't see a lot of celebrating. You see tears, you see grief, and you see pain. Mountain one is the graveyard, which is full of boxes of our dead hopes, dead dreams, dead desires, dead ambitions, dead intentions, because of the box you were never willing to get out of. 
because of the box that you were never willing to step out of to fulfill the dream of God on your life. Some of you men in the house, I'm going to tell you, you need to step out of the box of the way your family has always done things. You need to step out of the box of your ego. You need to step out of the box of the things that you have done all your life because you not getting out of the box and listening to the spouse that's across the room from you is destroying the marriage that God has given you. And hear me on this. I say this with all seriousness. I've seen men fly around America to go to marriage conference after marriage conference after marriage conference to listen to somebody tell them how to fix their marriage when they won't listen to the spouse that's right next to them. Ladies, you can elbow your husbands. (laughs) And I'm telling you guys that the best thing I've ever learned to do in my marriage, and I said this in first service as well when my wife was sitting right there, the best thing I've ever learned to do in my marriage is quit listening to all the conference speakers and start listening to the voice that God has put in my life. Not just listening to her, but actually hearing what she says. When we're in those moments that you may call fighting, we call it intensive moments of fellowship. Come on, somebody. Look at it with the eyes of faith. We're fellowshipping over a disagreement. Come on, man. Everything's about faith in my life. When we're in those intensive moments of fellowship, the best thing I've ever learned to do is not to start building my defense when she's talking. It's not to start arguing back to her in my head. And when she gives me a break to speak up, I'm going to say this and this and this to her. It's not, I'm not throwing punches, proverbially. All right, it's not, we're not really throwing punches. I'm not looking for my next swing of how I can stab her with the words that are gonna come out of my mouth, it's to literally stop and get out of my ego mailbox. Come on, somebody. And if you're a man you got an ego because you just said you didn't have an ego. Wives, go ahead and elbow your husband. Tell him he's good. And the best thing I've ever learned to do is not go to counseling. It's not go to conferences. It's not get Pastor Joel to pray over your marriage. It's to sit down with the person who I'm in the marriage with and listen to what she's actually saying to me. Yeah. Not listen to the, 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 the terminology that she's given, but truly trying to listen to the heart of the words that are coming out of her mouth. Because everybody knows our terminology is different. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. So I got to listen to the heart of what she's trying to say. Mm, Come on. And the best thing you'll ever do for your marriage is not argue with the person in the house with you, but figure out how to listen and hear what they're actually saying so you can come out of the same corner fighting together. Amen. See, we used to come out of opposite corners at each other. Now we come out of the same corner realizing that every miscommunication is an opportunity for the devil to come in and start disrupting our marriage so we don't listen to necessarily just what they say but the heart of what they're trying to convey in the conversation so we can start fighting against the enemy together with who we are. But oh, Pastor Joel had to get out of the box of the ego. Because it didn't matter how many people attended church on Easter last year. I still had to go home and change diapers. See, when I walk into my house, the pastor tag kind of just gets put to the side. And daddy, husband, servant. Come on, somebody. I love love Pastor Jeff when he makes his kids lunch. 
he still writes his daughter's notes and puts them in their lunchbox. And she's, she's, about, she's about to be 16. She just got her permit. That scares me. Not because she's a bad driver, because I love her. And I remember my sweet little, little Katie. You know, she's my niece. I know she's their daughter, but she's like, I don't have a daughter. So I, I just kind of live life vicariously. You know, I, I love watching the daddy-daughter dances that they used to go to. But, but the greatest thing he could do as a dad is sacrifice his ego of being macho and show her how it, should, how it feels to be loved. And I love seeing the pictures of the notes that he leaves her in her lunchbox. And that just blesses me. Because whoever marries that girl has got some big shoes to fill. She's not going to have daddy issues. She may have husband issues because ma- he can't match her daddy. And we'll work through that going forward. And he'll give wise counsel to the husband. Amen. And if not, he's got two brothers that will give wise counsel to the husband. Amen. Come on, somebody. I mean, there's shotguns in Texas. Come on. I'm telling. I'm just kidding. The wisest thing you can ever do as a man is don't live in the mountain of regret 20 years after your marriage has fallen apart because you didn't surrender the prideful moment of the fight because you were right. Because you had the answer. You can have the right answer, but still be wrong. God really wants to work in some marriages today. Y'all got it easy compared to first service too. He, we went off in first service. God knows your heart. So you can have the right answer. Doug, you can have the right answer, but we can still be so wrong in everything that happens. So I want to encourage you as men, the greatest thing you can do, it can be the saddest place. It can be the worst place if we don't get out of the box of who we were raised at and who we were supposed to be as a man. Ladies, on the other side, men, don't do anything except pray. Don't elbow, don't say yes, sir, don't even amen. Come on, somebody. I'm I'm saving you before I say it. You do not have to act like every other female in your family. You don't have to be the emotional one. You're not in an emotional competition with your sister, your mother-in-law, your mother, or anybody else. You're not even in competition with your kids. So I want to encourage you. You need to get out of your box. And there's a man who wants to be heard in the same household that you want to be heard in. And if we as husband and wife teams don't manage to get outside of the box of our family issues that have been plaguing us for years, that your grandparents got divorced and your parents got divorced and you look like you're looking at tomorrow and you're going to the courthouse with her, there's still time to go before God Almighty and get on your knees and say, God, I'm not right. She's not right. You're the only one who's right. And if you don't get right in our marriage, we don't have one. We don't have one. There's great amount of victory and success when you're willing to get outside of the box of your family lineage. Everybody in Israel was family. They chose one from every tribe. So there's land. Two of the family members came back and said, we got this. Ten of them came back emotional, overreacting, full of fear. They said, there's giants in the land. And I'm telling you, the Bible says this, wherever two or more agree upon it is touching anything. When me and my wife come into agreement about something, the kids can't divide us. 
Come on, somebody. The workplace can't divide us. The storms of life can't divide us. I love that verse they added into Waymaker. Even though troubles are all around us, it can't divide us. Come on. It's called coming together. And there's great victory when you're willing to get outside of the box that you were raised in and take a fresh look at that man or that woman who's standing across from you and say, let today be the first day of the rest of our life. Honey, I'm going to climb this mountain, but I'm not climbing without you. Let's start climbing together into the good things that God has for us and see what happens. Mountain one is the saddest place because you usually don't see celebrations at the graveyard. In fact, this happens. At most funerals, there are more tears of regret than tears for missing the person who passed away. I've done several funerals in the last 20 years that I've been in ministry. David, in the last 20 years of ministry, out of all the funerals, I've seen more tears at every funeral from people living with regret of what they should have done, what they wish they would have said, how they wish they would have acted, how they wish they would have spent that 10 more minutes, how they wish they would have gone and saw people when they were in the hospital, how they wish they would have had just had one more day and they live on the saddest mountain in all of the earth. It's the mountain of regret. Most tears aren't for the person who passed. They're for the person crying because of the regret that they live with of how they wish they would have just had one more moment, one more woulda, one more coulda, one more shoulda. What are you waiting for? It's time to start climbing. I want to talk about your feelings just for a minute. Your feelings play a big part in whether you're ever going to get out of this box or not. And I get so amazed at the people, Mike, who are offended by what happens on Facebook. Can I get an amen on that? Come on. And really, it should be called false book, not Facebook. Because what you're seeing is a false impression of somebody's momentary moment of glory. It's a highlight reel of their life. It's not their everyday living. Come on, man. It's not how they live every moment of their life. You notice you never see somebody go on Instagram Live or Facebook Live and say, look how dirty my closet is. Somebody needs to organize these shoes. Because you want people to see the very best of you. The problem is we compare our worst to their best. We compare our failures and shortcoming to their great victories. Last week, I was on the 81st floor of one of the 10 tallest buildings in all of Asia, one of the 13 tallest buildings in all of the world, and I took an amazing picture with all of Vietnam below me, and you know what? That was 30 minutes of my life. But people are like, oh, he lives there in the sky. (laughs) No. I had 30 minutes before it was dark and an hour before I had to speak again, so I had to make, I had to make the most of the moment and go to the top of an 81st floor building and then see the sights and then get back down. It was a highlight reel. And I'm amazed at people who are offended by somebody else's Facebook post. Why do I say that? Because your offense really isn't them. Your offense is really based in a lie-based core belief that's deep down within you. And they said something that triggered a feeling and you took offense thinking they were talking about you. Come on. And you notice how I said get out of the box of ego? Everything you see on Facebook isn't necessarily about you. In fact, people probably really aren't even thinking of you. 
In fact, they probably didn't even have you on their mind when they posted that, but your ego is in place and you took offense because they had to be talking about me half a world away on the 81st floor of a Vietnam building. Come on, somebody. We got to get out of it. And our feelings play this massive part in false book and we take offense because of something that's deep down within us. So through every experience or something occurring in your life, it results in a lie-based core belief that there will always be a feeling and an emotion that occurs concurrent with that lie-based core belief. So whenever something happens in your life, big, little, trauma-filled, even kind of normal, that's just like, ugh, that hurt a little bit. If you don't take those thoughts captive to the Lord Jesus Christ, it gives the enemy an opportunity to put a foothold in your life. That's why the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Get it right before you go to bed. That means you got till about 9.30 tonight to get over every offensive thing that I'm going to say to you this morning. Because if you don't, Pastor Mitch said it best, the battle's won in the night. <laughs> And you got to tell tonight about 930 when the sun goes down to get over it. Because people leave here on Sunday mornings and they're like, wow, pastor, you really stepped on my toes. Gosh, I think you wrote that message just for me. Well, I really wasn't thinking about you when I wrote the message. I was trying to hear from God and what God wanted to say to you because he was thinking about you. I really wasn't thinking about you. I was thinking about him. He was thinking about you. So how it comes out, it just comes out like it hit you because it was for you. But I really wasn't thinking about you. I was thinking about him. I was trying to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of the perfecter of my faith. Because I've wrote messages out of spite before and they didn't turn out so good. So I've learned how to let offenses go really quickly. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. I'm going to put this part in here for them non-tithers, you know. Come on, somebody. I've wrote messages out of spite before. I've wrote messages being in a bad place before and was never allowed to preach them. And then I even got all the more mad. Because I spent all this time making this message that this person needed to hear. Come on. You see my dilemma? I had to quit focusing on you a long time ago when I started preparing messages. I had to start focusing on him. I had to start focusing on his heart because his heart is you. And so if I say something that, that, that turns your heart towards the father, it's because the father was thinking about you. It's because the father had you, had, had you on his mind. It's because the father wants to draw you closer. It's because the father wants to get you out of this box. It's because the father wants to heal that marriage. It's because the father wants to set you up on a higher level. It's because the father's trying to get you to the mountain that he has for you. And so what I got to ask you this morning, what are you letting offend you? And the next time you read something on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever grams and whatever's are out there. Gosh, it, it's draining emotionally just trying to list all the social media sites, much less be on them and keep up with them. And man, when you read something and you take offense to it, maybe you ought to see what core belief in your life has been triggered and the feelings of anger, emotion, rage, sadness, bitterness. I'm, not, I'm just going to unfriend them. What do you need to check deep down within? Because see, many people try to repress the feelings. And actually, I'm going to tell you not to repress your feelings because your feelings are an active indicator that there's something wrong inside of you. I'm the world's worst about um, when, when I'm working out and something hurts. 
If I ignore it, it will go away. That's not true. If I ignore it, it will only get worse. The pain will only increase. Pain is not a bad thing in your life. Pain is in your life to tell you to stop. Something hurts. That doesn't mean don't work out. Some of you are like, thank you. I got my ammo for next time we talk about this. You know what I'm talking Pain is telling Joel something's wrong with your physical body. You need to get something checked out. Your feelings that are ungodly and emotional are the indicators that God put in your life that something is spiritually wrong and you need to get something checked out. You need to get something put in place. And so many people try to repress their feelings when actually your feelings run concurrent with what you actually believe. When we as believers have feelings of fear, anxiety, hurt, or pain that run contrary to the word of God, it means there's a lie-based core belief somewhere in our life that the enemy has planted that you need to let the light of the gospel expose so you can be set free from it and you can walk out your Christian walk in victory. This is where the Bible says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the things that hinder us and the sin that so easily entangles us. That's called the sin of offense. And when you grab onto it, I'm telling you, it doesn't let go. It's crazy like that. Feelings can be trusted to connect us to what we really believe. If we repress and deny these feelings, we keep ourselves in bondage to the box with these lie-based core belief that are deep within. So feelings don't need to be trusted in the fact of, oh, I feel emotional, I feel good about this, so I'm going to do it. No, if you feel good about it and going to do it, you still need to hear the voice of God to go do it. I don't feel good about it, I'm not going to do it. You need to hear what God is telling you, not what your feelings are telling you. Feelings can be trusted to tell you that something is wrong in your life. Feelings are the active indicators, they're not the source. Okay, when it's hot outside, I don't just say, wow, the thermostat's hot. The thermostat ain't hot. It's an active indicator of the sun. Your feelings are an active indicator of your spiritual stability. I don't know if I should go on farther from here. You can tell how emotionally you stable, stable you are when the fight's about to happen. You know, the fight in your house is about to happen. And... If your feelings are all over the place, you got some lie-based core beliefs you got to handle. If you're able to keep calm in the midst of the fight coming and say, honey, let's recognize this for what it is. I ain't mad at you. You're probably frustrated with me. <laughs> I didn't communicate well, but let's recognize it for what it is. This is not a fight that we need to get into. It's a scenario that we need to look at and tell it for what it is. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. When you get to the graveyard and are paralyzed by the feelings of prior experiences, you have an issue you need to be set free from. Well, I'm ready to go and step out by faith and do. You fill in the blank. But when you're about to do it, you fill in the blank. You stop and you're paralyzed and you're polarized by everything that's going on. You're like, I just can't you got to be set free from something. Amen. Because fear is overtaking your step of faith to get you to the mountain. Everybody say, start climbing. Amen. So we got to climb out of these boxes of fear. And I'm going to tell you this. The opposite of faith is not fear. Many of you are trying to fight the battle of fear with your faith, and that's not how you fight the battle of fear. The opposite of faith is sight. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. So the opposite of faith is sight. The opposite of fear is love.
The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. So you've been fighting fear with faith, and the Bible says you're supposed to fight fear with love. That's why Jesus said the greatest two commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you do this, you fulfill all of the law, and you fulfill all of the prophets, and everything that God has wanted you to fulfill by loving, and you're overcoming fear. When you're walking in faith, the Bible says faith worketh by love. So you're trying to fight fear with faith and you fight fear with love, but the only way your faith works is through love. So the answer to everything you're gonna go through is to step into the love of a heavenly father and get your issues fixed, get set free from some stuff, and we all got stuff. Pastor Joel even goes to freedom ministry every three months because in every three months there's something traumatic that happens in my life. Okay? I'm not gonna let a lie-based core belief set into it. I'm going to get set free from it. And sometimes I need help. And it's a lot easier with help. I'm not going to try and sit here and figure it out on my own. I'm going to go to somebody who says, Pastor, if you can't see it, of course I can't see it because I wouldn't have came to you if I did see it. <laughs> right? If you can't see it, it's simply blah, 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 blah. They can do in 10 minutes what would take me 10 hours. That's why I don't change my own oil on my truck. They can do in 10 minutes what takes me 10 hours. Come on, somebody. I mean, let's use some wisdom here. It's no different. My wife goes to freedom ministry. Why? Because doing ministry takes a toll on the marriage. Robert Morris said it best. You can be saved, but not set free. He wants you saved. I want you born again. I need you to know Christ. He is the one who brings freedom into your life. But you can be saved and still struggle with alcohol. You can be saved and still have a pornography issue. You can be saved and still struggle with homosexuality. You can be saved and still struggle with a dependency on a, on a product or, or, or a pill or something else. You can be saved and still have a bunch of issues financially. You can be saved and have issues all over the map. So you can be saved, but God doesn't just want you saved. He wants you set free. So freedom is huge at TWBC. And we want you set free. We want you... God, because deep within you, if you don't get free from the lie-based core belief, they become lenses like glasses that you put on, and it jades every part of your vision to that hurt or that offense that you have in your life. So how are we going to continue to walk in the power of God? It's going to be through God setting us free when we go to him. So mountain number one, it's the, it's the saddest place. Mountain number two, it's also the scariest place. Most horror movies that you see have something to do with the graveyard. The scariest place is when they come face to face with their shortcomings, their failures, and their fears. Their shortcomings, their failures, and their fears. That's the scariest place in life. And people ask me all the time, Pastor Joel, how do you lead TWBC? I need you to tell me what you're doing so we can do it. I need you to show me what's going on and what you're doing with your staff and how the elders are working. What are you doing at TWBC? Because we want to know how to do it. And you want to know how I lead TWBC? This is how I lead TWBC because I'm well aware of my shortcomings. I'm well aware of my fears. I'm well aware of my past failures. This is how I lead TWBC. Every morning I get up and do this. Oh God, I can't do this on my own today. 
I have so many shortcomings that do not qualify me to lead this great church. I need you to lead it for me. I need you to lead it through me. I need you to lead it with me. God, I have so many fears about tomorrow. I have so many issues with the failures of my past. Oh God, I'm surrendering my heart to you before I even get out of bed and saying, if you don't lead this church, God, there's no way I'm moving it in any direction. I need to hear your voice. I need to know that you're here and your presence is with us. Oh God, today, help me make wise decisions that'll benefit us years into the future oh god i know how inadequate i am but with christ with christ i'm asking you to lead the church and god i surrender my life for you to do it through me that's how i lead my church that's how i lead my marriage pastor joel doesn't have a great great wisdom about how to stay married for 50 years i hadn't been there now, maybe when I'm 50 years married, I can give you good advice, but the only advice I can give you today is, men, if you don't start out your marriage every day on your knees, your marriage is going to have a lot of struggles. And I don't know how to tell you how to fix every little situation with your kids and your finances and your lawnmower and your car that won't start and all the issues going on in your life and the money problems that you have and the struggles that you're dealing with internally, the struggle that your wife is dealing with internally. I don't have all the answers for you, but I know who does. And the Bible says, when I will acknowledge that I'm weak in an area, he comes through strong. In your weakness, he is strong. So I have to get out of my box of ego and let him come in. See, we say failure is not an option. The fact of the matter is, it's the fear of failure that's not an option for the believer. It's the fear of failure. See, we say failure is not an option, but the truth is the fear of failure is not an option because everything that is a fear in your life is something that's yet to come. It's something that's about It's not in the past. It's something that hasn't happened yet that you don't know the outcome of, but yet you're already letting fear dictate what you're going to do in it instead of letting faith come through because you love God. And with that, you let fear dictate what you won't do and what you will do instead of letting the power of God come in and move you into the mountain he wants you to start climbing. And so I say the fear of failure is not an option because this. Many believers never give themselves a chance to fail because fear never lets them try. You don't know whether you're good in children's ministry or not, but fear hasn't even let you step out and try to fail. You don't know whether you're good to help out in student ministries or not because you're too afraid to even try. You're too afraid to even let yourself fail. See, failure's not an option. Of course it's not because God will sustain you. It's the fear that never lets us step out that prevents us from even failing, much less becoming more than we ever thought we could be. Becoming more than. So mountain one is the saddest place and the scariest place. Mountain two is this. And I want to talk to you real quick from a moment to a lifetime. God's dream, God's dream was 85 years in the making for Caleb. God's dream was 85 years in the making for Caleb. And with God's dream being 85 years in the making, he said, I'm now stronger today than the day you first gave me the vision. I can do battle going out and I can do battle coming in. I'm just as strong today. See, when the vision is of you, it'll be paralyzing and it'll run you down and you're emotionally spent. When the vision is from God, you can wake up and say, my youth is being renewed like the eagles, strong, soaring, overcoming and powerful because the vision and the dream of God that he has for you gives you life. And it's so easy, it's so easy to celebrate Caleb in this story. 
Because after 85 years, he got his mountain. Come on. But what about the 84th year? What about the 84th year? What about the 84th year when he didn't know when he was getting his mountain? What about he was 44 years into the, prophet, uh, the promise when he first saw the promised land? And what God said, I'm giving you, he was 84 years old. Would you have hung on? And Mel, I want to tell you something. At 84 years old, he may have been as strong as he was when he was 40, but he wasn't in the prime of his life anymore. What if God doesn't bring your dream to pass until you're almost too old to enjoy it? Because the dream was never really about you, it was about your grandchildren. He spent that he didn't get to fully enjoy the way he believed he was when he first was given the, the dream and the vision. Richard, can you come help me right quick? Can you come on up here and help me right quick? Can you come help me right quick? Yes. And can, can you stand right here for me? And Richard, you've been 85 years fighting for this mountain. And he's a lot younger than he looks. He looks good, I'm telling you. I had a good conversation with him the other week. And you're on the 84th year. And you're reading this and you're saying, God, when I first got the vision, I was 40 years old. And I was about to have kids. And this was my home for my kids. And we were going to raise the kids there. And we were going to swim in the pool there. And we were going to do all the stuff there. But now I'm 85 years. And will you still fight for something? A vision that's in you. When the vision wasn't never meant for you, it was for them who don't understand what you went through to get it. Because he is the inheritance of the 45 years of fighting, the 45 years of standing, the 45 years of pain, the 45 years of letting a whole generation die off that didn't believe with you. All your friends are gone. All your family's gone. It's just you and Joshua left. He had to rise up a whole nother nation. Only one man in the whole earth gets you. But you're going to keep fighting for him who doesn't even know you. You know, when I planted the church 20 years ago, it didn't turn out like I thought it would. Life hadn't turned out quite like I thought it would. I'm fighting for a generation that doesn't even know what I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for my son who's your age, who doesn't understand what daddy's fighting for. Who doesn't understand why daddy doesn't come home till late at night sometimes? Who doesn't understand why I'm leaving for meetings at 5 a.m.? Who doesn't understand why I come to church at 6 a.m. and go back home and get them dressed for church and then come back to church on Sunday morning? They don't know what I'm fighting for yet. But there's a promised land for them. So the mountain that's in your heart, what if you never got to enjoy it the way you thought you would? But it was really for them to enjoy it and the blessing and the promises of God. Give them a hand as they're being seated this morning. See, when he wrote this, he said, this shall be an inheritance 
for your children's. He didn't say children. When he put children's within apostrophe, he was talking about his grandchildren. And I don't know if Caleb got that when God spoke it. But when he was 85, he said, it's still worth fighting for. We've been doing this 20 years. Jeff and Amy left Tulsa on a vision from God to come here and help Pastor Joel plant this awesome church when there was only four and a half people involved with it. (laughs) Hadn't turned out quite like we all thought all the time. But there's a generation following us, Pastor Jeff. There's a generation following us, Pastor Damon. Pastor Derek, there's a generation following us. Pastor Corey, you're the generation following us. Caitlin, you're the generation following us. And there's a generation following you. Our children's. So from the mountain of the moment to the mountain of a lifetime, when it's from God, it'll stay in you. And when you're 85, you'll still, you'll still feel like you're 41. <laughs> I know he was 40. I'm 41. That's my, my lot in life. It's personal to me. First service didn't get all this. I got 30 years. The other side of this sabbatical. And the vision is stronger than it's ever been. In fact, the vision is bigger, it's better, it's greater, it's stronger than when I got it 20 years ago. Because I'm looking at the vision every single Sunday. I'm walking into the vision every single day of my life. I'm walking into the power of God. And I know there's children's generations following us. You paid a price, sister. Girl, you paid a price. The years of intercession that you've done. The way you've stood strong. It wasn't just for a church, it was for the church. That's generation following. Because you prayed for me when I was in your youth group. See, people don't get it. She's part of the reason that she prayed for him. That he was preaching to me when I was in his youth group. It was generations they were praying for. So the saddest place, the loneliest place, the scariest place, that can become the richest place. You can trust G- If you can trust Jesus with your boxes of sadness, of grief, of pain, if you can trust him with all that's associated with Mountain One and, that, and all the things that are keeping you in this box, if you can trust Jesus with the box of your shortcomings, if I can trust Jesus with the box of my failures and the box of my fears, only then will the saddest place, the scariest place on earth, be transformed by the power of God to the richest place. Only then can God bring to pass his dream that he has set before me in mountain number two. The dream in the mountain of God that he says it's time to start climbing that mountain that I've set in front of you today. Your divorce does not disqualify you for the mountain that he has before you. It doesn't. It doesn't. Your past addiction doesn't disqualify you from the mountain that he has before you. You just got to realize that that mountain needs to be put in a box that you're no longer going to look at, that you're no longer going to go after, that you're going to let be behind you because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And everything has changed. If I let my failures dictate my decisions, we would close the church. 
If I let my fears dictate the decisions I make, we would close the church. If I let my shortcomings and my insecurities and all the ways I'm not qualified dictate how we lead this church, we would lock the doors and we would never come back. But I'm going for the mountain. In spite of me, not because of me, in spite of me, I'm going for the mountain. And I'm starting to climb. And I'm going to accomplish. You're going to accomplish what God has for you for the next generation and the next. Stand with me this morning. I've said this this morning. I said you have to get past you to get to his dream. Joel has to get past Joel to get to his dream. The question is, but how? That's great advice, Pastor, but you haven't told me how to get past me. You haven't told me how to get past myself. You haven't told me how to get past my insecurities. You haven't told me how to get past the actions that keep wrecking my marriage. You haven't told me how to get past the abuse that I struggled with as a kid. And I'm going to tell you how. The only way to get past you, to get to the mountain that's before you, so you can start climbing, the answer is this, and it's two words. It's called only Jesus. It's only Jesus that can get you past you. It's only Jesus because there's some of you this morning who you need to walk up to the cross of Calvary and you need to kneel down and say, I'm dying to myself, to my ego, my pride, my failures, my shortcomings, my insecurities, everything about me. I'm dying to myself. And at that, I'm leaving it at the foot of the cross because Jesus, you're not at the cross. And I'm walking into the place that you are, seated in the heavenly realms and with the power of God at his right hand, I'm stepping into you. You only do it by Jesus. This morning, if you have never met Jesus and, and never have made him the Lord of your life, now is the time. And there's ministers all along the walls who want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. And ministers, if you're along the wall, I want you to start every session out like this. You ask the person, have you made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life? If they say no, I want you to lead them in a prayer of salvation. If they say yes, you say good. You already have whatever it takes on the inside of you to get you to the mountain that is before you. And you begin to lead them in into the mountain that's before them and out of the box that has confined them. Some of you this morning, if you, if you do know Jesus, you just need help getting out of the box. My wife is great helping me get out of the box. My pastors are great helping me get out of the box. My elders are great helping me get out of the box and walk into the destiny that's before me. This morning, get ready to move because it's your first step out of the box. Go to one of these ministers and pray with him because he is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. He is God Almighty. Are you ready to move? Let's get out of the box and start climbing in three, two, one. Take that step of faith. Begin to move. Let We're God so show you how amazing he is. Here at TWBC, you are our online family. Right now, we want to take a special moment and invite you to say a prayer with us. If you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, we want to give you the opportunity to make the best decision you'll ever make. If you need to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, pray this simple prayer with us right now. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I understand and receive the sacrifice that you made for me. I thank you that my sins are forgiven. I thank you that you paid the price. And I thank you now that you are Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that you have been raised again from the dead. And I thank you today. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I receive my salvation from this moment on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
If you just prayed that prayer with us, thank you so much for joining us this morning and being a part of the family of Christ. We're so excited that you prayed that prayer with us and we wanna say welcome to the body of Christ. We'd love to follow up with you, so if you prayed that prayer, send us a quick email or reach out to us through social media. We would love to get in contact with you and help you find a place of belonging wherever you're at if you can't make this your church home. Thank you again for being a part of the Way Bible Church and thank you for tuning in to this broadcast.